Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read the same text that we read last week because I only got on one verse last week and I just kind of hammered on it. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 16 tonight. The Bible says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue, a stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you tonight as humble as we know how. Father, asking you, Lord, to have your way and your will through this sermon tonight. God, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill me uh, with the unction of the Holy Spirit tonight, that I may preach what you've uh, put on our hearts this week. God, what we've studied in the book of Ephesians, and God, help us to relay the message, God, that you've put on our hearts. God, may we grow in the understanding of the Word of God. May we grow closer to Christ. Father, And may we grow closer together as the body fitly framed together and compacted about. God, that we might edify one another in love. God, help us to be that building. God, help us to be the body of Christ. Father, we love you tonight and we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. When my father comes, uh, Lord willing, in, in the next couple of weeks, he sings a song that was probably one of the first songs that I ever learned to play on the mandolin. Uh, and I don't know, he might have sang it here once before, but uh, the song is called I'm Working on a Building. Now, some of you might have heard it. Uh, maybe he sang it here. I don't remember. Uh, but it was an old bluegrass song that uh, I can't remember exactly the name of the, the group that sang it. But anyway, I'm working on a building. And it. It would go through and, and list the different uh, parts. It would talk about a drunkard, and it'd talk about a gambler, and it'd talk about uh, a sinner. And my dad wrote a line, uh, wrote a verse in that, added a fourth verse to it. And he said, and if I were a Christian, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd just keep on working on the building. Uh, my mind just left me. But anyway, if I were a Christian, he said, uh, I'd just keep uh, serving the Lord and working on building too. And that's what we are to do tonight. That's what I'm going to try and preach to you about tonight is working on that building because we are the body of Christ. Now, as the body of Christ, we have all been given spiritual gifts. And I talked to you uh, last week about a couple of people that just came to my mind briefly last week on ha who had spiritual gifts, but they were behind the scenes that, Maybe a lot of people didn't know what all they did, 
But Christ knew because Christ called them to do that and they are faithful in their calling and God is blessing them for that, but also He is blessing our church for that. And I believe that if more people will see their spiritual calling in the body of Christ, that God will bless our church because people want to use the gifts that God has gave them. See, a lot of people in the church world today, they say, well, I don't have a pretty voice like sister so-and-so does. Well, I don't sing on key like brother John does, or I don't play the guitar just exactly the way uh, uh, brother uh, Ben does, or, or I don't play the bass exactly the way that brother Mike Odom does, or, or whatever. Or I, I, I'm not real good at talking to people on the phone like sister Dixie is, or or I'm not real good at making people laugh like Brother Don is, or, or I'm not real good at cheering people up and, and, uh, and giving an ear to somebody that needs talking to like Sister Sue does, or, or uh, I'm not real good at smoking barbecue like Brother Bobby is, or, or anything like that. But we all have a spiritual guilt that can accompany these other spiritual gifts for the edifying of the body of Christ in love. The bottom line is, in me as pastor, it is my opportunity and my obligation as pastor to help you find your spiritual calling. Now, I cannot call you. I'm not the one that does the calling. My pastor didn't call me to preach, nor did he call me to pastor. My mama and daddy didn't call me. But I had a few select men of God and women of God in my life that pointed me in the right direction, that led me by the Spirit of God, that taught me that if I would yield myself unto the Spirit of God, He would show me these great and mighty things, and He would give me an unction of the Holy Ghost wherewith we are called, and He would help me to find what my gift was in the body of Christ. Because, listen, as a newborn baby, and I know that there is some detrimental things that that could cause a, a, a newborn baby to not have full function uh, uh, limbs. But uh, most of the time, uh, a, a healthy baby, a healthy uh, body uh, does not have a member that it cannot use. Understand me tonight. Usually something causes, uh, and uh, Dr. David Crow, a role model of mine, great preacher, a great man of God. He'll be here at Bluebell uh, this coming March. Uh, good Lord willing. But anyway, uh, he used to love to play, uh, I believe it was honky-tonk music. He used to play uh, the guitar, and uh, I believe he still can play a little bit. But uh, his testimony, uh, he started, he was a child of God, and he would get around. He, he was an army chaplain. And uh, anyway, I, I need to find that uh, uh audio recording of him sharing his testimony if I can, but uh, briefly tonight, I, I just want to tell you about Dr. David uh, Crow because uh, he had such a gift for playing the guitar. I mean, he could make a guitar string talk to you uh, without uttering a word from his mouth, uh, but it was the wrong kind of music. Uh, he grew up playing the honky-tonk style music or country music, if you will, uh, and God saved him and, and God changed him. God called him to preach and God uh, 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 done miracles in his life and he saw many people saved as an army chaplain and, and different things. But uh, somewhere in his life at a factory, uh, God got a hold of him and it changed his life forever. Uh, and, and he preaches on the parable of the withered hand. And it's because he had a personal experience with that. Uh, a, a machine at his factory 
caught his hand and he lost uh, about 50 to 60% mobility in one of his hands and he is no longer able to play the guitar the way that he used to. But that was a gift that God gave him. Uh, and what I'm trying to say is, is that uh, uh, a fully healthy body, all of its members can work together. But if somebody, uh, if some member of that body gets injured, it injures the entire body. It affected his whole lifestyle. The loss of the movement in his hand affected the entire way of living that Dr. Crow uh, has experienced. Now, he is one of the most generous men that I've ever met in my life. Um, uh, and just hearing uh, testimonies and some of my friends that know him personally, um, uh, when I lived in Tennessee, a group of men went up to the national headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee, or in Gallatin, Tennessee, uh, went into Dr. Crow's main office there in the uh, National Association of Free Will Baptist uh, headquarters and say, said that there is hundreds of uh, musical instruments hanging on his wall. Said there's anything from banjos to fiddles to guitars to mandolins to upright basses, whatever you can think of, Dr. Crow had in his office because that was his, that was his gift. He loved music. He loved to write music, loved to play music, uh, and maybe he'll share that story with you um, when he comes in March. But um, anyway, uh, he, he's so generous, and God has blessed him in other ways uh, because of his lack of ability to use the spiritual gift of playing instruments uh, uh, the way that he used to, uh, God has given him other resources in his life uh, to be a blessing to other people. And that's what I'm trying to say tonight, is that if one part of the body may be affected, if, if, if you're no longer able to do as you once did, God will give you something else to be a blessing in some other way. Just because God may take away something. Now listen, I believe just as Job said, uh, why should we believe that God is so good uh, that he giveth, but why should we not also believe that the God who giveth is also the God who taketh away? I believe that there is certain circumstances in life that God can take away your gift from you. Now I also believe this, that if God is calling you to do something and you refuse to do it, then God will move on from you and find somebody else to do what God has called you to do. I do believe that. Look with me in the Scripture. In relation to the spiritual gifts that God gives us, there is no coincidence with God. There is no irony with God. And your spiritual gift is not going to be the same. It might be uh, the same calling, but your gift is going to be different than somebody else's gift. They all vary, but they all work in unison for the same person, and that is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatsoever you do, uh, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Amen? If that's mowing somebody's yard, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. If it's baking somebody a pie and taking over, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Because great will be your reward if you do it unto Him. He's the giver and the taker away. But tonight, in verse number 8, He said, Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts unto men for the sole purpose that he might be glorified, that he might be praised, 
and that he might be worshipped. Jameson Fawcett Brown uh, said, God's word is scripture. Psalm 68 verse 18 says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. He ascended up on high, and he led captivity captive. I'm glad he done that, amen. He ascended to heaven, and therefore he is God the Son. He is God the Son. Now, I believe it's in the book of John, chapter 1, uh, that he said, and I see a ladder, uh, and it's talking about the ladder being Christ, where the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. John chapter 3, verse 13 says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So we see Christ... He had, he had to come down to earth first before He could ascend back to heaven. So it's given us the promise of His deity. God had put within His Son uh, human flesh, put made Him human flesh to come to this rotten world, this stinking world, this uh, washed pot of sin uh, to become sin for us. He was made flesh for us to go to Calvary's hill to die for our sins that we might be forgiven. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved, and they also will be given a gift. What was the gift that uh, after Jesus ascended in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 2, what was one of the gifts that, that He gave unto men? The Holy Spirit of God. Now some will argue that it was the gift of uh, fiery tongues. That wasn't the, the, the gift. The gift was the Holy Spirit. And the speaking of uh, tongues as coal and fire, that was the evidence of the gift. What I'm saying tonight is that if you have the gift, there will be evidence in your life of that gift. Because God has given to each one of us that have been blood-bought and born again by His Son, Jesus Christ, He's all given us the same gift, and that gift is His Holy Spirit. Now we partake in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost tonight. And my preaching and my teaching, or my singing, or whatever it might be, my praying, whatever it might be, that might be a blessing to you. It's not I, but it's Christ within me. It's the Holy Spirit of God within me. And those things are just the evidences of the Holy Spirit in my life. I believe that each one of you tonight should be able to use your gift of the Holy Spirit so that somebody else might see the evidence of Christ in your life. What's your gift? What's your gift? Think about it. What is the gift that God has given to you that other people see the evidence of Christ in your life? Maybe it's the way that you talk. Maybe it's them seeing you pray openly in public. Maybe it's them seeing you come up and shake their hands even in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic. Maybe it's you going up to them and hugging their neck regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how bad they smell, regardless of how dirty they may be, and you just offer them a loving, generous hand of encouragement. 
whatever it might be, do it unto the Lord and not unto men. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel, that he might feel all things. That he might feel all things. I, I'm going to interpret this tonight. The Word of God teaches me that our bodies are as earthen vessels. Right? We're all earthen vessels. And God has given us an inheritance of the Holy Spirit, just a partial inheritance. He's not given us the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but He just gave us just enough to confirm by an oath, by His oath, that we have been sealed by that Spirit and we shall receive the full reward when we get to heaven. But He's gave us just an earnest of our inheritance to feel all things. Because we are earthen vessels. And those vessels are to be as funnels. And we are to funnel the Holy Spirit through our lives into somebody else's life. God has given you and made you and formed you. As the potter has power over the clay, so does God have you in the palm of His hand. He is shaping in you and molding you into the piece of pottery that He desires you and I to be. He's working on you. Amen. I'm glad today that He's still working on me. So much truth in such a small little song. He's still working on me. Listen, friend. It's not too late for you to ask the Lord... What is your spiritual gift? How can you provide evidence of the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life? Now, I know the free will Baptists, they don't believe in speaking in tongues. I know that uh, that's not something that is uh, known today. And I, I'm not saying that it's the evidence of the Spirit today. I'm not saying that it's even needed today. But I do believe this, that if there is going to be the evidence of speaking in tongues, somebody else better be interpreting that. Amen? Now, I've been in one service. I've preached in church gods. I've preached in Pentecostals and, and, and holiness churches. And, and I've been around it all my life. And I've sat there with, with goosebumps because I was scared to death. Thinking, what in the world are they talking about? And then I've sat there with goosebumps, the Holy Ghost bumps, running all up and down my spine when somebody spoke in tongues. And listen, the bass player, who was a woman, a woman spoke in tongues... And the bass player who spoke in tongues, or didn't speak in tongues, but she was the bass player, and she stood up and interpreted what the sister in the back said. Talk about the Holy Ghost in that place. I wasn't scared that day. That day. I'd make you want to run, run around the church. I'd make you want to shout. But what I'm saying is that God still is able. Amen. Listen, and y'all might think I'm crazy for even saying this in the Free Will Baptist Church. But the night that I prayed down here and I wept bitterly during the revival and I'm not boasting in myself, but God got a hold of me that night and I believe that if I would have opened my mouth just slightly, if I could, the power of God would have spoke through me in the Spirit. 
I've never felt anything like it. But if I could have just mustered my mouth to move, I believe the Spirit would have spoke through me that night and it would have scared everybody in this church to death. But I believe that the same God that was the God of Pentecost is the same God today. Now, do I think it was jibber-jabber and, and, and what people do in most churches today, just stand up and, and just make up something off the tip of their tongue? Absolutely not. Because in Acts chapter 2, it says, and those 3,000 people that the disciples ministered to as glowing tongues of fire, they all understood in their own language. It wasn't the man speaking. It was the Holy Ghost speaking. It would be like, and I've interpreted it this way. I believe that if I went to the mission field in Mexico and was pre preaching a revival series, and if the Holy Spirit of God gifted me, gifted me, and anointed me with the Holy Spiritual power of heaven, that He would allow me to preach in Spanish that I do not know. I don't know how to preach in, in Spanish. If I did, I'd probably conduct a Spanish service every Sunday. But I don't have that gift. I don't know how to speak Espanol. But I believe that if I was in a foreign mission field where God thought it necessary for me to speak in that native tongue, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is able to give me that tongue in the time that I need it. I mean, not for me to stand up and, and, and show it off and boast about it and, and say, oh, look at me, look what God's given me, because there's a lot of people in the church doing that. Some of the best singers and most talented people in the world uh, are right in the church world, and they act worse than the, wor than, than the world's musicians. They're so prideful because God has given them such a gift for music and a, such a voice to sing. And they boast it and they say, look at me. And that's not what God has given us the gifts to do. It's not about us. It's to say, look at him. Look at him. It ain't about me. Some of the best preachers across this world. Not all of them. I'm not talking bad about all of them. I, I know some dear, dear preacher friends that are in my book, some of the greatest in the United States of America. But there's some others that I've heard and I've probably shook hands with that I've had to question their motive. Because the motive behind the gift, if it's not pleasing to the Lord, then you ought not be doing it. I'd rather be quiet and please the Lord than to open my mouth and embarrass Him. A lot of people don't know when to keep their mouth shut. Because then it takes all the lights and all the all the praise and all the glory off of the one who is the most deserving and puts it on the one who is the most undeserving because we are all wretched sinners before Christ saved us. Doomed for hell, we are unworthy. We do not deserve anything but what we have been given, we ought to give our lives to and we must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's not about us tonight, but it's all about Him. I feel pretty good up here preaching. I didn't know I've been preaching this long already. So we see in verse number 10, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that He might fill 
all things. It is His desire that when He gives you a gift, that He fills you to the full. He's not going to leave you halfway. He's not going to do anything halfway. He's going to do it all the way. Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Luke 24 and 44 said, And He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now listen, friend, let me tell you this. Most of the Old Testament prophets, except for maybe Daniel and uh, some in Ezekiel and uh, Hosea and some of the other prophets, Amos, some of the other uh, places there, most of those prophetic uh, uh, sayings came true the moment that Christ Jesus was birthed into this world. But there's been many other prophecies fulfilled since the time that He ascended far back into the heavens. And listen, we're watching prophecy be fulfilled right before our very eyes. May I encourage you, friend, to open your eyes. Be watching. What did Jesus say when He went into the Garden of Gethsemane? He told them, He said, now, you sit over here and you watch and pray. Watch and pray. Christ, He it seems that He's so far away. It seems like He's a great way off. But friend, He's nigh unto every one of us. Amen. He's very nigh unto every one of us. And I believe that He's just a short time from coming to claim each and every one of us that have been covered by His blood. So be watching. Be praying lest when He return He find you asleep. Moving on, I got to try and speed through the next next couple of verses. Verse eleven through. Uh, well, let's look at verse eleven. He said, "And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers." This verse explains the uniqueness of God's gifts that He gives to His children. They are diverse, and they are individual. Some may only have one gift, but others may have more. And it's all according to verse number 7. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. The measure uh, according to the grace given, uh, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That's how He gives us these gifts, are according to His grace. Let's look at uh, the word apostle. Jesus had many followers, but He chose only 12. And those 12, one being a devil, that was Judas Iscariot, they were labeled as the apostles of God. The word apostle means one who is sent with the commission. A divinely appointed representative had to see, they, they personally had to see Christ risen and witness the resurrection. Not one of us watched the risen Savior ascend to heaven. Not one of us witnessed the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. But yet there are other men today, possibly even some women today, I don't know, who claim to be apostles. But that is nowhere found as a to me 
in the Word of God that we are to be represented as. Now, I know that my title in 1 Timothy chapter 3 says that if a man desire the office of bishop, bishop, he, des he desires a good thing. But I don't want you going around calling me Bishop Brewer. Because that word in the Greek, it simply means pastor or teacher or preacher. The word apostle, uh, the gift of apostleship, he chose 12 men who he knew would see him be crucified for the sins of the whole world. But not only that, after uh, he arose and he spent 40 days walking on this earth, he showed himself not only to those 12, but in 1 Corinthians it says that he showed himself also unto about 500 people. There was apostles. I noted this, and you can disagree with me. We must not claim to be apostles. I believe it was a great honor and a great privilege to be given the gift of apostleship. But we have not that gift today. See, a lot of people, I, I, I preached this a while back, that there's three applications to the Word of God. There's a primary application, there's a prophetic application, and there's a practical application. So when we read the Bible, we have to understand who that book was written to, what purpose that book was written for, whether or not it is prophetic, or whether or not it is speaking divinely to us in 2020. There is a practical application. I'm not saying disregard uh, the parts of the Bible that are not practical. I'm not saying that because you can't have the practical without the primary. Everybody understand? You can't have the practical application until you understand the primary application. Because when you understand how the Word of God was dealing with that particular place in that particular setting of time, then you can understand how that fits into our lives. Because listen, you can read the book of 1 Corinthians and you will see modern day America all through it. Apostasy. Heretics. Somebody preaching another gospel. Homosexuality. Fornication in the church. Women dressing like men. Shaving their head like men. Men dressing like women. Listen, it was all in the church of Corinth. This thing is not a new thing in America. You can read it in the Word of God. There's a primary application there. Next, in verse 11, we see that He gave some prophets. That word prophet. Now, I can see how some preachers might be called prophets. I, I can kind of understand this uh, side of it. Because a prophet is a proclaimer of the Word of God. A proclaimer of the Word of God. Now, when you think of prophecy, when you think of somebody prophesying over you, you're probably like me, and you probably relate them to a fortune teller. You probably think, well, that, that prophet, he's going to speak into my future. I don't know if that's Bible or not. Now, I know that there's prophets in the Old Testament that foretold things to come. But what they were doing, they were proclaiming the Word of God. Because the Word of God had to be spoken so that it could be written down for our admonition today. For our example today. A prophet is a proclaimer of the Word of God. 
The purpose is for edification and encouragement and consolation. These also aren't needed today. I believe a job of a pastor is for edification, encouragement, and consolation. 1 Corinthians 14, 1-3, Now Paul said that if any man desire a gift, that the gift of prophecy is one to be desired. He said in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So we see the prophets of old. That's all they were. What we have, and there's some other historical books that that uh, uh, show us that there were possibly other prophets of, of the Lord, but the ones that we need to know about are all writ in the Word of God for our example. The word evangelist, he said in some prophets and some evangelists, the word evangelist is a bearer of good news. I personally believe that God has called every child of God to be an evangelist, male and female. We are all to be the bearers of good news. We all should tell somebody about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. What good things He has done in my life. When the woman at the well received the gift of the living water, what did she do? She ran into the city crying, Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be excited to share Jesus with somebody. We ought to be excited to share the good news of the gospel and how the, how the man Jesus can rescue him from the pits of sin. How can he and how he can give them the gift that you have? Evangelist is a bearer of good news. We should also be burdened for lost souls and do as much as we can to win them to Christ. I'm not going to read this, but if you are taking notes tonight, you can write down 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. You can go back and read that later. I'm trying to move on. I, uh, I want to get to verse 16 before I end tonight. I ain't going to be here next week, so you ain't going to put up with it next week. Lastly, we find in verse 11, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I, I thought it was kind of odd or kind of unique, however you want to look at it, that he individualized the apostleship and the prophets and the evangelists, but then he combined pastors and teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said that if a man desire the office of a bishop, uh, he gives a list of qualifications. And one of those get, uh, qualifications of a bishop or a pastor is to be apt to teach. A bishop then must be blameless. Thank you, Joe. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. So I find it interesting tonight that uh, not only uh, did he individualize these other gifts, but he comp combined these. And that's what I hope to be. I desire to be a pastor and a teacher. A pastor and teacher uh, is one office 
with two ministries. They're separate ministries in the same office. They are to be a shepherd over a local assembly and they are to feed and lead the flock of God. Pastors can only feed the flock by the means of the Word of God. Dr. Warren Wiersbe. All of these spiritual gifts are to help equip and encourage fellow believers and evangelize the lost. Moving on. I love verse 14. It says, or let me read verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. This is the reason that God has given us these gifts, these callings. You can also read it in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans chapter 12 also will give you more detail on the gifts and columns of God. But the reason that He gives us these gifts are for this reason. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Jameson Fawcett Brown said in verses 12 and uh, 13 is that it is looking with a view to the ultimate aim, the ultimate aim being heaven. By the word of God, we are to instruct one another in righteous living. We don't see that very often in modern church world of today. I believe that there was such a time that when a brother seen another brother struggle or another sister seen another sister struggling with sin or, or uh, struggling just spiritually, I believe that there was such a time that that sister uh, would go to them in the spirit of meekness. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. There was a such a time as this that men... And women practice this. But we don't see it very often today. It says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself also, lest thou also be tempted. I believe that it, it would give us due cause as children of God to go to our brother or sister that we see struggling and to, uh, uh, to talk to them and to help them come out from among the world to be separate and to help them uh, to come into the body of Christ and to be unified by faith. Chuck Smith said, I had a whole new philosophy for the purpose of the church. It isn't the evangelization of the world, but it is the building up of the body of Christ. And so I then began to focus my ministry on building up the body of Christ, loving the body of Christ, ministering to the body of Christ, strengthening the body of Christ, teaching the body of Christ the Word of God, and feeding the body of Christ. As the result, as they began to mature and come into his, uh, maturity in Christ, their lives became a witness to the world around them, and others came to know and came to find out what was going on, and evangelism was the byproduct of a healthy body. I read that pretty fast. They're like, huh? I know. Listen to the last line. This is all that you need to hear. And evangelism was the byproduct of a healthy body. 
what Chuck Smith was telling me about these verses is that if the body of Christ would do what the body of Christ is supposed to do, we wouldn't have to worry about the lost getting saved because the lost would want to get saved. You know why we ain't see nobody get saved anymore? Because people are looking into the church and they see church members buying and devouring one another and they're talking behind their backs and they say, my Lord, if, if they're going to live that way, I don't want no part of it. There's people in the lost world today that say, well, I've got better friends at the bar than I do in the church. Why? Because the body of Christ is not unified. We're not unified by faith in the Spirit of God. Nor are we uh, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I believe that the church needs to get back to unification in the Spirit. Because I want the lost people to look at Bluebell and say, Man, that church loves one another. Man, that church loves sinners. Man, that church welcomes sinners as soon as we walk through the door. I don't want them to look back and say, boy, I don't want to ever go back to Bluebell again. Well, I heard I heard so-and-so up there at Bluebell done this to so-and-so. Well, I heard so-and-so done this to that, that girl. I don't believe I'll I don't believe I'll go back up there with them bunch of hypocrites. You know that's what they say. What's the first excuse that a lost person can give you for not going to church? Well, I ain't going up our church for all them hypocrites. Right? Well, maybe you ain't witnessed anybody in a long time. Go do it tomorrow. See what they say. The majority of people that I've talked to and invited to church, not, not about Bluebell. I, I have had some throw out Bluebell in particular. But they say, well, I don't go to church for all them hypocrites up there. Oh, so-and-so, they done me wrong years ago. I can't go to church with them. Listen, I mean this out of the bottom of my heart and out of the kindness and love that is within me. If you will just do what God has told you to do, if you will just live by the book and be a part of the body of Christ like you're supposed to be, God will take care of the rest. God will save sinners if we do our part. My, re my rebuttal to those that throw that at me is, I'd rather go to church with a bunch of hypocrites than die and go to hell with them. I'd rather spend an hour and a half in a church service. Well, Blue Bell, probably two hours. I'd rather spend a few hours, a couple hours with some hypocrites than to die and spend eternity with them. Because it might just be that those people that they think are hypocrites who probably are not ever, even saved in the first place, when they both die and end up in hell, Lucifer's liable to chain them up right next to each other. And boy, wouldn't that be torment for all of eternity. Them having to scream at each other's face bite each other, try to ease each other's pain in a place of torment. And they probably look at both, both of them. There's probably hypocrites in hell today saying, boy, I wish we could have just got along in church. I, believe, I, I wish we could have just been a part of the body of Christ and we would have had to suffer in this flame for eternity. Listen, if the church would just get right with God. Yes, I said it. 
if the body of Christ and if the church would just repent and get right with God, sinners would want to get saved. Evangelism should be the byproduct of a healthy body, Chuck Smith said. As a local assembly, we must be in agreement doctrinally on a firm foundation. Ryrie said these gifts should be used if we equip others for service and maturity. Lastly tonight, verses 14 through 16, be, uh, be not tossed to and fro with it and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Listen, there's a time and place. Listen, I, when I was a young preacher, I thought, man, Every time I go somewhere and preach, I got to share the seat. Y'all heard that analogy? Man, I sit under a pastor for four and a half years, five years maybe. Listen, it seemed like every service, these old sheep was getting whooped. Y'all ever been around a preacher that done that? Just wore the sheep plum out. Shared them. And listen, I, a, a older preacher friend of mine came up to me after I started preaching because he had, he had heard me preach. He came up to me one night and he said, Ben, he said, I thank the world of you and I thank God for calling you to preach. But he said, the sheep need fed every day and they only need seared once a, once a year. That helped this old preacher. That helped this old preacher. Because listen, I've learned that if you'll just speak the truth in love and if you'll feed the body, if you'll feed the sheep, They'll want to come back. And they'll want to know more about Jesus. They'll want to do more about Jesus. They'll want to do more for Jesus. But also they'll want to see lost people come to know this Jesus. So speak the truth in love. That we might grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working. Brother Bob, there's your word again. Effectual. What's that word mean, Brother Bob? It's to do effective work for the Lord. Amen. Brother Bob taught on that word. Effectual door of opportunity, right? An opening, an effectual open door of opportunity is what Brother Bob taught on back in July. And listen, if y'all wasn't at the men's breakfast, you missed a wonderful devotion. But see, Brother Bob now knows what that word means. And he now knows how to apply that to his life. Right? So we see when you read about that word in the Word of God, you say, aha, I know what that word means now. I know how to apply this. So look with us. Fitly joined together and compacted, and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. The effective work for the Lord in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Chuck Smith said, Christ the head and all of us really fit together, joined by the Spirit, made a part of that body, the beautiful body of Christ, functioning together, coordinated together by the Spirit coming into the fullness. But we look at the body of Christ today in the world, and it is spastic. 
No wonder the world isn't interested. You know, the church is so divided, divided over the dumbest things. And I'll say, amen. They're divided over the dumbest things. It is only as we really come to that unity and love that the church will have a powerful witness before the world, building up itself in love. Amen. Till we put aside the petty issues, the dumbest of issues that separate us and divide us, we will not fully come into the unity and love of the church and have a powerful witness before the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If we want to have a powerful witness, if we want to have the unity and the love in the church, then we're going to have to repent. We're going to have to do away with the, the petty issues. We're going to have to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11 says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I've underlined, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And that's what he will do when we come in unity of the body of Christ. Dr. Warren Wearsby provided four evidences to spiritual growth, and I'll close with this. I have another quote, but I ain't going to read it tonight. These four things, Dr. Warren Wearsby said, will be evidence of spiritual growth. Evidence number one of spiritual growth is Christ's likeness. What does the term Christian mean? It means to be Christ-like. The first evidence in a person's life, in a church's life. And I pray that we can see evidence, these four evidences. I pray we see those at Bluebell. Because if we don't, we will be a dead church. And I don't want to be a dead church. I want to be a church on the move. I want to be a church alive. I want to be a church doing the work of God. The first evidence is Christ's likeness. The second evidence is stability. I pray to God that Bluebell gets some stability. I knew that was going to be quiet. And listen, I ain't judging nobody. I ain't down in this church. But one of the greatest burdens on my heart when I came here, and I've shared it with Cassie many times, is that in 88 years, almost 89 years, I'm the 27th pastor. That means there's been a lot of pastors come and go. That means there's been a lot of instability come and go. And so the church is ever going to grow. It needs stability. It needs a firm foundation. It needs the chief cornerstone. And that chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a pastor. And if you put your faith and hope and trust in a pastor, friend, you will fall every time. There must be stability, and that stability is on the Lord Jesus Christ. The third evidence is the truth in love. I pray that we'll be a church that speaks truth in love. 
And lastly tonight, the fourth evidence. You'll either say amen or owe me to this. The fourth evidence tonight of spiritual growth in the body of Christ is cooperation. Cooperation. Sometimes that means that I will have to compromise. Sometimes that means you might have to compromise. But sometimes if you compromise on both sides, you can come together in unity and God's will will be done. See, marriage is not a give and take. When I got married, I had several people try to give me marital advice. And some was not from the best marriages. They would say, Ben, marriage is 50-50. Well, Ben, marriage is 50-50, but you'll sure give more than you take, or you'll sure uh, take more than you give. Y'all heard that. I'm sure Tanner and Alyssa's hearing that. But one of the greatest pieces of advice came from a dear friend of mine from Nebo, North Carolina. And I don't know if he's watching tonight. But Brother Joe Simmons from Nebo, North Carolina drew me out a diagram, put an X at the top, and he put mine and Cassie's name on each end. And he said, Ben, if you and Cassie will meet in the center, and the center being Christ, you will have a good marriage. Because he said, Ben, a marriage will always fail if Christ is not the sinner. And listen, he told me this. He said, people might tell you marriage is 50-50. But he said, it's a lie. He said, marriage is 100% from the husband and from the wife. It takes 100% cooperation from both sides. It takes compromise on both sides because if you compromise in love and speak the truth in love and come together in unity uh, with Christ being the center, God will bless and ordain that marriage. And nothing shall separate it. What God binds together, what God joins together, let no man put asunder. Four evidence. Christ-likeness. Stability, truth and love, and cooperation. Like I say, sometimes that cooperation takes compromise. Don't compromise on the fundamentals. I won't ever compromise on the fundamentals of the gospel. I'll never compromise on the doctrine. The sound doctrine, I'll never compromise. But I'm talking about the silly things. I'm talking about the petty issues. Sometimes it's a compromise. And when we compromise, the Lord is able to bless that because He knows that we are seeking His heart. And I believe that when we seek God's heart, then God will bless our church and He will be able to use our church to glorify Him. Amen. I'm sorry for preaching so long tonight. I know I didn't have to. I do apologize, but I pray that you got something out of it. I pray the Lord helped you in some way. He's about killed me up here, wore me out. I'll be honest, I preached pretty hard both services today. I went home and I had zero energy. My wife cooked a delicious meal, made some more of those rolls, Sister Julie. I had, I ain't going to tell you how many. Anyway, my heart's desire 
Please know this out of the kindness of my heart. My heart's desire for Bluebell is that we will glorify God in our unity, in our worship, in our love for the brethren, in our love for the sinners, in our community, that in all things that we do, we glorify God and not ourselves because He's worthy.